Well, even though we opened up last week, I see a lot more faces. So for a lot of you, welcome back. We missed you. We are concluding the series today on the battle. It's been a long, kind of detailed series. But we've been reminded that we're in a battle every day. Satan's not confined to hell, but he's roaming the earth. We're soldiers. There are no civilians here. God created us to live out his glory. And as we live for his glory, then we defeat Satan every single day. We either live for God's glory or we don't. No one's neutral. There are no civilians here. That's why he gave us free will. Because robots cannot live out God's glory. Robots just, you know, program. But as long as we have choice, we have the opportunity to choose for Christ every single day. Defeating Satan every day. That's why he gave us choice. That's why we're not robots. And prayer is an incredibly powerful weapon and effect in this war. Every war has a beginning. Every war has a crisis point. Now what I mean by that, World War II began officially September 1, 1939. Germany invades Poland. America does not enter until December 7, 1941, Pearl Harbor. So, for two years and three months, America thought we would not be involved. It was Europe's war, not us. How foolish we were. Today, there are humans that think this spiritual warfare is between angels and demons, not us. That's foolish. The meaning of life, living my life in such a way that God received glory. The decisions, who I am, what I am, God receives glory. That's called kingdom living. Jesus said that, seek ye first the kingdom, the prayer of thy kingdom come. It's not about getting to church, that's a symptom. It's about kingdom because I'm in a war. The war began with Lucifer and a third of the angels. But like every war, we know the beginning but there's also a critical point, that singular moment that almost guarantees victory, that decides the conflict, that critical moment. Uh, World War II, you know, it began in 1939. But in the European theater, the critical moment was Normandy. The, the Asian Far East theater, the critical moment was bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Every war has a beginning, but a critical moment. Uh, Civil War began with firing of Fort, Sumpty, uh, Fort Sumter, excuse me. But the critical moment was a couple of days in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Every war will have a beginning, but a critical moment that you point to and say, that was the victory, that was the deciding point. A civil war after Gettysburg, it was basically over. So, what about this war? We know it began. Lucifer, the third of the angels, rebel. What's the critical moment? The cross of Jesus Christ. The bloodshed, his resurrection, he's alive. That is the critical event. It's about victory in the war that I'm a soldier in. Personally, you care because you're a soldier in it. Personally, in the series, I think we've been waking each other up. That there is an important war going on. And Satan will try to deceive you in the importance as if it's no big deal. Last week, we looked at a 21-day battle in the heavens between Gabriel and demons. Let's look at another battle today. Revelations chapter 12, verses 7, 8, and 9. This is a big one. Archangel Michael and his angels opposing Satan and demonic forces. Revelations 12, 7, 8, and 9. Look, take a look at it. And the war, 
Interesting wording. The war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon, that's Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the dragon was cast out, and the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, was cast to earth. And the angels were cast out with him. So scripture lets us know, at this present time, eternity past, Satan and his angels had some level of position still in heaven, now cast to earth. So the conflict now is on earth. Spiritual war, battleground, earth. Me and you. And the believers now have a part to play. Let's go to the last days. In dealing with the last days, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they, now they is me and you, believers on earth, overcame him, that would be Satan, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Okay, key points in this verse. It says, to the death. Why? It's a war. Picture yourself confronted in a situation where you have one or two alternatives. Lay down your life or renege on your testimony to Christ. With the ISIS movement that's happening on the global stage right now. As prophecy is being fulfilled, we may be living in the last days. Interesting wording here. Revelations chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, giving great wrath, for he knows his time is short. All of history's conflicts with Satan toward the last days will ramp up. It will be the most fierce because he knows his time is short. He's aware that he's about to be confined to what's called the bottomless pit. Really? Yeah, Revelation chapter 20, verse 3 verses. John's watching all this. Can you imagine? Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up. Even the bottomless pit does not seem to be the final destination. Beyond this, in that chapter 20, let's go to verse 10, for his final destination, Revelation 20, 10, take a look. The devil who received him was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone with the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So much for Lucifer. He's done, but what about us? What's our end? There's more explanation that we already read, that Revelation 12, 11 about us. It reveals that our weapons in this partnership of God's final victory, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimonies. That's a key phrase. The blood of the Lamb, of course, Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away my sins. John 1.29 tells us this. Behold Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now remember, got to keep going back here. The cross and the resurrection is the critical event of the war. I know it's getting deep. Just hang with me. The cross and the resurrection is the critical event of the war. It is the blood of Jesus and his resurrection that allows us to follow him. And now we proclaim, remember last week, we proclaim his praise. It releases power. I mean, even the Lord's prayer is a prayer of proclamation. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. That's a proclamation. You are holy. 
At the whole end of that prayer, for the power and kingdom and glory forever and ever. A lot of proclamation there. This critical event, the blood of the cross, is really teaching us about this all the way back in Exodus. Teaches the blood of Jesus, the power. We look at the Passover lamb and the slaves when they were slaves in Egypt. God made every Israelite responsible to kill a lamb, catch the blood in a basin, and paint the the blood on their door. Remember from our Old Testament feast series at Christmas time? Exodus 12, 6 and 7. Let's go back for a second. Now you shall keep it. It is the lamb, by the way. Until the 14th day of the same month, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. They shall take some blood and put it on the doorposts or the lintel of the house where they will eat it. That night, God's death angel will pass over Egypt and the firstborn male of every home will die unless there is blood on the door and they will pass over that door. God gave real big details about getting ready for that night. It's obvious if they would merely kill the lamb and let the blood drop on the ground and not collect it, they would die too. It was the blood on the door that protected them. They would have the same fate that would fall to the Egyptian families. So they had to be very careful here. They had hyssop, which was like a, like, like a brush they would paint with. God even said, use the hyssop for this. He's very specific. Exodus 12, 21 and 22. Let's take a look at it. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves, according to your families. Kill the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dry it in the blood that is in the basin. Strike it on the lentil, that's the doorframe, and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of the house until the morning. The only thing that protected them as this death movement was marching through the nation was as it saw the blood on the door, it would pass. That's why it's called the Passover. It would pass over that house. It was God's requirement, painting that blood on the door. Consider this. Supposing... They did everything but the last thing. They killed the lamb ceremoniously. They carefully collected all the blood in the basin and left the basin outside that door and never put it on the door frame. They wouldn't do that, but what if they did? They were required to take that dry hyssop paintbrush and paint the door. What if they didn't? It had to be painted visible to everyone that passed by, particularly the angels going to pass over that home. Obviously, get common sense at play in here. Only the blood transferred from the basin to the door would protect them. Now, it's interesting to me. Jesus is called our Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For indeed, Christ is our Passover lamb. There is an eternal death, hell, an eternal death. That the blood of the lamb, death passes over us. But what if the blood is still in the basin? What if for some weird reason, the Israelites, it was provided for them, but they didn't act on it? For some bizarre reason, I know it's beyond our imagination, no one would be that stupid, but to go all the work of the blood, leave it in the basin, and, and never paint the door. See, the key here, that's us. There are people who believe that Jesus is a savior. They believe that Jesus went to the cross. They believe he shed his blood. They believe he rose again. But they've never put the blood on their life. That blood for you was still in the basin. 
Because they think, if I believe, it means something. It doesn't. Satan believes. You have matched Satan in your spiritual walk. If all you do is, I really do believe this. It is a surrender. It is doing what Satan does not do. It's taking that blood and applying it to my own life. Rather than living in the basin. Rather than really believing. It is living kingdom that God receives glory from my life. Because the blood is no longer just there. It's now applied to me, my life. Because I've shared before. We understand, I think, better as we understand the judgment. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And it says he controls, has the keys to heaven and hell. So why is he at the right hand of the Father at the judgment, whatever the judgment is? This is beyond our imagination. Because he can cover me. As I come before the Father, as, as if this is me, Jesus is right there to say, do not see Gene Tanner, see him covered in my blood. That's why the Bible has these unusual wordings. We're covered by the blood of Jesus or the Father sees us in Christ. Well, we're in Christ because we have come to him and said, forgive me of my sins. Let your blood not be in the basin. May it not just be available to me, but may it be poured over me. May I be seen through you. Forgive me where I have served the wrong army because if you're not getting glory from my life, somebody is. Forgive me for Satan has been using me. And I want to live kingdom. I do not want what's been provided to not be used. I do not want what's been provided to kind of be left in the basin of my life. I want your blood over me. God, from now on, you receive glory from my life. That's the story. Now, Satan's strategy is to do everything he can to have you believe. He got no sweat with you believing because the blood's still in the basin. It's never been applied to your life. He wants to keep you afraid of Christ, intimidated of Christ. He comes to you and says, you know something, all, all truth be known, you're doing pretty good without him. He comes and says, this is not all that real. It's not that important. Come on, it's church talk. That's what you're supposed to say in church. Why would he do that? Because it's a war. And that's his strategy. He's never going to say, hey, follow me. He's merely going to say, you don't need Christ. Satan will turn everything loose he can to either embarrass us, confuse us, or get us busy. I wonder if as we're contemplating the warfare, we're thinking, you know, tomorrow I got two or three meetings. And Tuesday I've got that luncheon. And then I got, he gets us so busy, so wrapped up in stuff that's, that's not that big of a deal compared to this. He'll do everything he can. To keep you and I from having a clear testimony. Because remember, proclamation is power of the resurrected Savior whose blood is part of my life. Scripture talks about the blood actually buying us. That's weird wording, isn't it? Buying us. It says we're redeemed, which literally means to buy back with a ransom price. If we're in the hands of Satan, living for his glory then we've got to be bought back. Remember, there's no neutral ground here in the war. You're either living for Christ or you're not. And if you're not, you're living for Satan without realizing it. You're no neutral ground. So Jesus comes along and says, I will take you out of the hands of Satan and I will redeem you. I will pay a ransom price. Really? Well, yeah. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed. Now, of course, redeemed is what we're talking about. With corruptible things. 
like gold or silver, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb. We go back to Passover, don't we? Without blemish, without spot. Once, when you were in the hands of Satan, you are literally bought back. How? By the precious blood of Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, or the critical moment in the war, the cross and resurrection. I mean, the Psalms, prophecy about this, the wording is kind of mind-boggling. Psalms 107, verse 2, wants you to see this. Let the redeemed, that's us that have been bought back, say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Is Scripture not aggressive or what? Redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So literally, if I'm not serving Christ, I am in the hand of Satan. Gene, how dare you make a statement like that? Hey, I can't. Psalms can. The word can. You've been redeemed from the enemy. Well, who would that be? Well, Satan. You're in the hands of Satan. Wow. Without Christ, I am in Satan's hands. And he constantly whispers to you. Because remember, he knows how to make the wrong things beautiful. He constantly whispers to you, it's not a big deal. You're not really a soldier in the war. It's all hype. It's church talk. And Jesus makes so clear at his Last Supper, blood is the centerpiece. You ever notice the, the Last Supper that was communion? Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is said for the remission or forgiveness of sins. This is my blood. He might as well have said, I'm paying the price. I'm paying your ransom. So, if our sins are forgiven and we celebrate that we're forgiven, we are soldiers in the war. And if not, Satan has a legal claim over us. Stuff's pretty simple. And if Satan has a scriptural, biblical, a spiritual, legal claim over you, if you've left the blood in the base and never applied it to your life, if he has a legal claim over you, he's not going to give it up without a fight. And so... War. Yeah, you're involved. You can scream at him. You can try self-help. Anything he will do to try to keep that legal claim over you until the chain is broken, the ransom is paid because of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, rose again, and is alive. Lastly, in this war that we've been talking about that you're part of, Satan would like you to believe you're not, but I'm sorry, you are. There's a fellowship aspect, a fellowship aspect in the victory of the war. Who doesn't win a war in fellowship? Who doesn't come out of a battle and celebrate? There is a fellowship aspect in the war. John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But as we walk in the light, we're winners. As he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What's the celebration? Here, the church, we're together. Nowhere does it call you to be the Lone Ranger. I always get nervous when I bump into someone and say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, but I don't want to be in a church. We're not a follower of Christ. Thank you for judgment. You're not. I'm sorry, there's, there, there's fruit to be, to be evaluated. You know, my, my church is the great outdoors. Well, I'm glad for that. My church is sitting by a river fishing. Well, I'm glad for that. But you're not, you're not in the war. 
You've been fooled. Your church is together because you're never called to be the lone ranger in a spiritual warfare. We got to be part of the assembly because here's where you encourage each other. Here's where we empower each other. Here's where we fall in love with each other. Here's where we support each other. And this is a good time to think about this because all those weeks that we couldn't meet, you missed it. Of course you missed it. Because this isn't a Kiwanis club. This is where I get fed. This is where I am nourished. This is where I am partnered with others. It's a spiritual journey of maturity that we all take together. Soldiers move together, not alone. And as we wrap up, what a promise in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 34. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Whoa, does God have a bad memory? (laughs) No, but he races really well. He doesn't hold it against us anymore. We're protected by the blood of Christ. And why is this so ever-loving important? Because you're in a war, there's no civilians in the room. You're saying, I'm not sure I believe that. Fine. Satan doesn't want you to believe any of this. But I've been very careful. As we make points, we bring it right up to Scripture because I want you to see how biblically clear the war is. Colossians 1.13 he, he here is God, delivered us from the power of darkness, Satan's authority, and conveyed, that's a big one, I put transferred there, us in the kingdom of the son of his love. Conveyed means to move from one place to another, transferred. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Ransomed. The price paid. Now that, now that the price is paid, warriors, you've been transferred. You've been moved from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. In other words, you're no longer in Satan's hand. You're no longer under Satan's authority. His kingdom does not apply to me anymore. I've been conveyed to living the kingdom of Christ. I live that God received glory by the blood of the Lamb because it's no longer in the basin. It's in my life. Now, this is no longer easy. This is not always easy. Because now you're saying, I'm no longer deadwood, living my life floating down a river. Because you could do nothing live for Satan. You can live your life as deadwood. The biggest event in your life could be what's going to happen this next week. There's got to be more than saving money so I get a little vacation time and, and making sure the bills are paid. There's got to be more to life than just floating downstream. Jesus said it best. How aggressive can it be? Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7 records it, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad that leads to destruction. That would be hell. And there are many, ooh, forgive us, there are many who go by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and few find it. It's just so easy to be dead wood. It's just so easy to to, to dominate my life by stuff. The way that leads to destruction is so wide because it's so easy to float through life. That's Satan's design. Wide is the path to hell. What a sad verse. Because our Lord, our Lamb, gave his blood for every single person and rose again conquering death. For the majority of people, the blood is in a basin never applied to their life. So many living outside of Christ. If God is not receiving glory from your life, you're in the wrong side of the war. Luke gives us something very vital to all of this discussion in Acts 27, 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong 
and whom I serve. Two terms, belong, serve. You cannot serve if you don't belong. There are no hirelings in God's army. If you're not living kingdom, why would you want to serve his church? Because we're good people? The key is belonging, not about a church. You could have religion without Christ. You could do good things without Christ. You could be a loving person without Christ. That's why it says you belong, then you serve. What's belong? A kingdom warrior. Not floating downstream, but vigilant. Vigilant. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. What a great, what a great statement. The last thing you're going to hear in the entire series is this verse. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. What a powerful, powerful thought. Let's stand together. Father, we concluded a lengthy series, but there's just so much scripture about this war. I think there's a lot of scripture because you want us to know. Scripture isn't tricks to be hidden from us. You've revealed this so that we're aware of what's going on. And Father, there may even be someone this morning that their heart's beating fast. Satan is really, really attacking, saying this is not that big of a deal. It's church talk. It's hype. But their heart's beating fast and they realize, for me, the blood is still in the basin. It's provided that I've never used it. It's provided I've never appropriated it. God in heaven, I've lived my life floating downstream without purpose for crying out loud, God in heaven, forgive me. Where I have sinned, let me be fresh. May I be covered by you. May the Father see me in Christ, forgive me. And let me begin to mature and grow as part of this body because I want to belong. Let me mature and grow as part of this body that I might live my life that you receive glory. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to continue to praise. Just a real quick, next week's going to be so much fun. Uh, we're going to be speaking, I'll be speaking directly to graduates, but I want you to know there are some life lessons I'm going to give them that is for every single person. So next week's going to be a unique, fun week. Looking forward to worshiping next week.